This entire episode is bullshit. Welcome to the 23rd episode of All of the Above, a weekly podcast about design, code, and learning. Each week, an instructional designer, a user experience designer, and a software engineer take apart the world one topic at a time. My name is Brian Brush, and I am once again joined by my co-host, Sam Bantner. Yo. And Sean Duran. Hola, amigo. So since we've had quite a bit of hiatus from talking to each other since we've done a few solo, solo episodes, how have you guys been? I've been well. Uh, I, I, I don't know if this happened, but I don't have a car anymore, and I've been just getting around fine. 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 By bus and car to go, and bumming lifts and rides awful. <laughs> Do you feel that is more costly or less costly than owning the car? It is definitely less costly. Uh, sometimes the bus doesn't just doesn't show up at the time that it says it's going to show up. So <laughs> that's always fun. Interesting. Yeah, and there's lots of bus people stories, but I'll, I'll save that for another time. Yeah, that's the best part about taking the bus. People watching. Yeah. And Sam, how have you been? Pretty good, I guess. Thank you for that invigorating story. I there was so much more I could have said, but it just kind of stopped there, and I was like, "Oh, that's an appropriate answer, right?" <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I guess so. What if uh, uh, the Proclaimers song "I'm Gonna Be" was in kilometers instead of miles? It'd be eight hundred four point six seven two miles or kilometers. The one about I'm gonna walk five hundred miles. I'm gonna walk eight hundred four point six seven two kilometers. I'm gonna walk eight hundred four point six seven two more. <laughs> I think they would have rewritten the song at that point. So this week we are talking about the Apple Watch, which only two thirds of us currently have one on our wrist. <laughs> So I'm going to enjoy this episode even more because it means that Sam, who does not have the watch, will be tortured by hearing some of the things that Sean and I have learned about it. (laughs) This is going to be fun. Yep. Which uh, learning is actually what our first topic is going to be centered around when it comes to the watch. So I wanted to talk a little bit about setting up and uh, getting to know the watch. So rather than look at just how like the watch could be used for learning applications, I'm instead going to focus on the process of learning how to use the watch. And a fair number of the reviews that I've read, and I don't know if you guys have seen these too, um, were arguing that the user interface of the watch is kind of complex and confusing. And while I agree that it's complex, I don't agree that it's really confusing, at least not in its entirety. And complexity is not necessarily a bad thing. So like OS X and Windows are both complex, in my opinion, albeit in different ways. And like the same is true for iOS and Android. It's just how we introduce that complexity to users is important. And from like an instructional design perspective, how we teach something that is complex is also interesting to me. So before we proceed too far with discussing the subtopic, I felt like I should sort of briefly establish what the setup process is for a new watch. And all in all, it's pretty simple. You launch the Apple Watch app on your phone, uh, which, by the way, wins the award for the ugliest app icon from Apple. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's awful. Uh, Yeah, I'd like it to see the front. Yeah, like I I can understand why they didn't do the front because I would get confused with the clock app, but maybe they should just integrate all of the Apple Watch stuff into the clock app. I don't know. So ugly. Oh, that would be confusing. Yeah. If the Apple Watch stuff was in a clock app. Yeah, I don't know. I had not thought about that, but 
But like if they both had watch faces on the front, then that would also be confusing. So anyways, um, you launch that app and then line up your phone's camera with the screen of your Apple Watch and magic happens. So it's it's like a legitimately a beautiful little dance that takes place between the watch and the phone as it gets everything set up for you. But once the watch and the phone are done with that little dance, you're sort of stuck just going, well, what's next? Uh <laughs> And I, the reason for that is partially like a poor onboarding experience from Apple. Um, but I think the main reason for the initial confusion as to what is next relates to the fact that for most of us, like opening up a new phone or a computer comes with a sense of familiarity. And those are devices that we already use or serve a purpose that we're already familiar with. But the Apple Watch is this whole new device that doesn't have the convenience of familiarity when we're onboarding. So learning how to nav navigate is a bit confusing at first. And I know Sean's going to talk about that probably a little bit later. And there's no like on-screen direction for that process. Instead, they just leave you to learn from this small booklet inside of the packaging. And the interface isn't just the only aspect that people have to learn when it comes to the watch. The other area to consider learning is like how the watch will fit into our lives. Um, so we get how desktop and notebook computers fit into our lives. We kind of maybe understand how tablets fit. Um, and we sure as hell know how smartphones fit into our lives. But the watch is different. So I'm going to go ahead and like stop there and throw some questions to you guys. Um, so first, I'm curious as to what things you have learned thus far when it comes to the watch and its role in your day-to-day. -day. And I'll start with Sean, since he actually has one. And then we'll kick over to Sam uh, to see what role he thinks the watch will fill in his day-to-day. -day. Yeah, it's a t uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Sam. This is a hard question to ask answer, because it's like, you, it's without having it on, it's like, a, it's really hard to judge like what you'd actually do with it and how it works. Yeah. But did you guys ever have like a, another like Nike Fuel Band or Fitbit or anything like that? Yeah, I've had Nike Fuel Bands, I've had a Fitbit, and I've had an Up Band. I've had nothing. Ah, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I never had like a real watch other than the Nike Fuel Band. Uh, so I never really got used to things being on my wrist and like waking up and like, oh, I got to put on my watch today, blah, 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 blah. Um, but it's been super handy. Uh, I, it's very like a natural uh, way of just looking at the time, as weird as that sounds. But it's like, yeah. hey, they, they got it figured out a long, long time ago. Um, but then just seeing things, the fact that like uh, instead of having a pocket um, with a phone that's buzzing and then you have to like, oh, okay, I have to take it out because I have no idea what this buzz means uh, unless you set it up so that uh, certain texts come in with different vibration patterns but other than that it's just it's a buzz and then sometimes a sound with this it's you hear a tap well you feel a tap and it's it feels like someone is actually like tapping on your wrist and you look at it and you're like oh that's what that was about and then you can just put your arm back down and then go about your day and then if you want to act on it you can or if it's like oh I should probably look at that on my phone and as well but it, it's a uh, it's sort of it's nice because it doesn't break the natural flow of if I'm talking to someone I make sure like if they're looking away i can then look at my watch without being rude <laughs> and that's how it fits in the day uh just like just looking at it when i have to plus the workout and activity tracker but that's like a whole other ballpark yeah um which that is one of the things that i really like on the watch is that it is just that tap and it doesn't like light up the screen or like yell to the world like hey this guy just got a notification everyone should look at it um where it, with that tap on the wrist if you are talking to somebody you can just wait until the conversation's over then turn to look at your watch and see what the notification was so that person's not even aware that anybody else was trying to get in touch with you whereas like the phone especially if it's sitting on a table or something the vibration motor often like shakes the whole table and everyone's aware that you're getting notifications so if you're getting a whole bunch of them then that person might feel like they're wasting your time or that you have something more important to get to 
Yeah. Also, do you, like, I have my sound off. Like, I had it on for the beginning, and then I realized, like, oh, that's sort of distracting. I'm fine with this tapping. Yeah, I, I turned it off, like, as soon as I set up the watch, um, which is also, my phone is almost never set to sound, and sometimes I forget some of the, like, the text tones and ringtones I have, like, <laughs> the Zelda sound whenever I get a text, um, although lately it's been roman mars voice saying this is a text message and then like one of my friends has some dubstep song set as his ringtone and whenever he calls it nearly gives me a heart attack every single time because i forgot that i set that up as a joke um so i usually live without sounds and i prefer this like tap just on my wrist that i can ignore or quickly look at and it's not like way too distracting in my day yeah and the tap is so pleasant it's like a i i like i like the taps i just want more taps in my life yeah yeah. And I yeah. <laughs> I tried I tried the prominent haptic feedback for a little bit, but it was just like this is too much. I miss like the nice little polite tap that I get. Yeah. But Sam, for you, since Sean and I kind of know how this fits into our day to day, how do you feel you will be using the watch? This entire episode is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked up my Apple order and it said it's still processing. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, buddy. As soon as your credit card gets charged, that's when you know that it's shipping. Yeah, that's what I usually check first. It's still just pending. But it says May 13th is the beginning of when I can receive it. It'll probably be the end of May. It'll be here soon. Yeah. I have no idea what any of you guys, what you guys are talking about. Any of that. It's just, it's all just <laughs> words to me. Just going in and going out. When you <laughs> ordered the watch, did you just order it because it's a new Apple gadget? Or did you have something in mind that you felt it could fill like a niche for? Well, it's not going to fill a niche for anything for me. I hate watches. I don't like having things on my wrist. The only reason I bought one was to develop stuff for it. So it's, well, it's a, nice that you have one. Yeah, it's an actual device to test on. So when you send apps to friends that are having weird random issues, instead of them relaying the information, you can actually look into it yourself. Like how your app never downloads through test flight anymore. Exactly. I got it working out one time or two times. Yeah, and then he pushed out an update and it no longer works. But Ah. we'll be talking about uh, Sam and the world of programming for the Apple Watch here later on in the show as well. Um, But my... Oh, did you have another thought, Sean? Uh, I guess so. I I, I was just wondering, like, uh, with there's so much functionality in the watch that it's hard to, like, know all of the ins and outs without, like, playing with it for a week. You can read the videos, you can do that, but you don't know, like, what's useful and what's not and things that you forget that you've looked at and, like, oh, I forgot, like, force touch that. That's what happens because force touching is just, like, hit and miss. Like, I just force touch everything. (laughs) Um, But with, like, usually with, like, like, iPhone, like, when the first one came out, it was a very limited feature set like it was cool but it was like pretty self-explanatory but with this this is like a full on like hey this is 1.0 but we packed in a lot of stuff so the learning curve is like it's not like oh this is the third apple watch and they've added functionality over time so people that already have used the apple watch they know what's going on so they can help people that just got new ones like oh yeah do this this is cool no everyone's new to this and there's a lot of stuff to it so i I don't know how you guys well i guess brian (laughs) how how you think that uh like apple's done in trying to teach people all this stuff because they're like you said there wasn't really much set up on other than the little packet that you get in the box and then all the videos that they put out preemptively to try and teach people like hey this is what happened yeah so the the use of the booklet seems odd to me like it it's kind of a useful resource initially but it's not how i feel the majority of their users are going to want to learn or would even know to look for the booklet like when people and i've seen so
so many like people open up their watch, whether it be through unboxing videos or just in person, um, that nobody goes digging for that booklet. They just start trying to set up the watch. They make sure their band fits and then they kind of ignore everything else that's in there. Um, so the booklet seems like a weird way to try to do it. And then the Apple watch app like recommends you to go watch those videos, but that's also like, it's such an external process from the watch that if somebody is trying to learn a new device, you probably want them focused on the device and people are so excited that that's where their energy and attention is already drawn to anyways. So trying to send them to like an outside resource doesn't seem like a very good way to try to teach everyone. Um, and it, there doesn't seem to be very much guidance about like when you should do something on the watch or when you should do it in the watch app. Mm-hmm. Um, and that still like confuses me with having had the watch for like a couple weeks now um, because I feel like it's not very like effectively conveyed. There's no on-screen onboarding and it's it is because it's so feature packed like it's just entirely confusing and I'm at a loss sometimes um, as to when I should do one thing versus the other but that doesn't mean that I think like the actual watch interface or, or design itself is confusing. I think it's just trying to like initially learn where do I go for this or that is mm-hmm. um, and like you said with iPhones or even with like Mac OS 10 that bears some level of familiarity and we also have so many people that we know and so many resources we can go to for for like questions with those things that there is nothing like that for the watch um, so the the biggest shock to me about Apple's approach is it seems like they're letting journalists and like friends and stuff discover things about the watch and then share that on the web and that's so like out of Apple's general bubble of control that they have. Um, so I'm not sure that's the type of onboarding or learning experience they wanted for new users, but we'll see how it plays out as more people start to get the watch. So my question for you, Sean, is what was the experience of learning how to use the watch for you? And in particular, to segue into your topic, um, what did you feel about learning these new forms of navigation? Like you had mentioned force touch, but um, there are plenty of other like new ways of interacting with a device like this. Um, so what has that experience been for you? And what were some of the things that you wanted to talk about regarding your topic? Yeah, uh, I guess like the initial setup for that, it was cool. Like that dancing dot like their own QR code was cool mm-hmm. and then having it sync up. But I did literally spend like an hour or so just sitting there with the watch, not even on my wrist, just in my hand. <laughs> like my left hand was the watch and then I just played with it with my thumb. And then my right hand, I had my phone with the watch uh, companion app. And I just was like, okay, um, do I like this? Eh, I don't know. And then I'm just like, oh, this is just like a big settings menu for just the watch. And mm-hmm. then there's onboard settings on the watch itself. So there's like your own settings there. So it was just a lot of settings and then customizing things and figuring out, oh, this is how you customize a watch face. Oh, this is how you add things to it, subtract things from it. And yeah, it was just like, oh, lots of oh moments. Because I, I watched all the videos because, you know, I'm a geek. And uh, <laughs> even then I like still were like uh, discovering things that apparently I just didn't remember. Um, but after that first hour, like the first week, that's all I did. Like every time I noticed like, oh, I don't like this or this is not how this app should work. Oh, I should turn off notifications of this. Went to the settings on well the Apple Watch app on my phone. Did stuff there. So it's been an on and off thing. But now I think I found a nice little rhythm to it. So cool. That's my theory. And then I'm on the modular uh, clock case because that's how I roll. Yeah, the the lack of digital faces with what Apple calls complications is surprisingly like limited. Yeah. But complications for those not familiar with the watch, um, like me, are. <laughs> 
are uh, on the watch faces on certain ones you can add and customize different fields so like on my modular face i have the weather showing in the center i have when the sun rises and sets i have my activity tracker and then my battery um, whereas sean like what do you have set on your modular face yes going from top left onwards uh sunrise and sunset time the date uh, activity tracker weather and then uh, a timer because i like the time um, but yeah i wish that hopefully uh coming soon you can have third-party complications so that way if i wanted uh the bus <laughs> like when's the next next 16 bus coming around and then they'd tell me i'm like oh cool not gonna miss it that'd be awesome it's probably yeah, not gonna show nice. up anyway though <laughs> <laughs> If it shows up, sometimes it's like late or just doesn't show up at all. And I have to wait for the next one, which I it, it sounds like, was I like, was the bus like literally seven minutes early? Because that, that should never happen. Or did it break down? I don't know. <laughs> I've been on the CTA when the driver just took a completely wrong turn and it wasn't until everyone on the bus like started getting a little antsy that uh, he realized and it was only like his second day driving that like rotation or whatever. Mm -hmm. So he had just detoured on a way that he normally drives for some other path, but... Yeah, if only he had a watch on his uh, wrist and have it tell him directions and... Yeah, (laughs) tap when he's supposed to turn... Yeah, I just want to take a a trip that has only right turns so that the tapping just never stops. Because it's like 12 consistent, like tap, 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 tap. Yeah, whereas the the left turn is three sets of two. So that's like one of those examples of a new like form of interacting, I guess, is now we have to be familiar with what these various taps mean and indicate. But Sean, what were some of the other like new interactions behaviors that you've seen thus far in the watch? Yeah, other than the tapping, which again is delightful, is the fact like like the digital crown, as much as they were like, oh yeah, we created a new input method. It's like the mouse or the touch screen. I, I, I was like, okay, yeah, well, it's cool. It's a scroll wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but it is like, I, I don't even think about it, but when I like have to read something on my phone, or not my phone, my watch, get a message on there, like that's where I default to. I don't even like think about it. So I guess that it works as intent. Um, but other than that, I feel like the, the force touch is the one thing that is different because all the other interactions, such as like the heartbeat, sending heartbeats to each other, tapping, and and uh, drawing things. They're they're just touchscreen element. Like, that's been existing. They just created a different UI for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and multi-touch with a heartbeat thing. But the force touch is, like, pressure sensitive. So that's, like, a new user input along with, the, I guess, the crown is a new... It's, it's, it's a scroll wheel. I don't know how else to <laughs> describe that. But I, I recently, um, I was listening to uh, Debug Podcast, which is wonderful uh, with Guy English and, I think, Renee Ritchie? Yep. From Imor. Um, but they just had on uh, Horace Dedu from when they mm-hmm. were at the UL conference, um, a Simco guy. Yeah. And he said, um, like, with, whenever there's like a new UI, and when he, he was like, oh, I'll clarify that, not a user interface, like a new user input, there, there's usually a business or a product formed around that and built off that. Um, so, like a mouse, like that, or a touch screens, you can see, like, oh, what's the purpose of those and how could they fit in? And with the digital crown, I, I don't see how that would be working, but the force touch is the, the coolest thing because that is also works with the um, well not works with uh, the new Mac books have the taptic engine mm-hmm. in the trackpad so I feel like that is like where the actual like new interaction is going to be a new input method is like that's that's the killer one because with that you can have a lot more than just text on a screen you can have things that interact with you and give you feedback in ways that are not just tap 
drops or vibrates, but like relating to what you're doing. It, it gives sort of like a three dimensionality to like a flat screen, essentially, because mm-hmm. it seems like you can actually like push further into the screen to, to bring up other information, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. And it's definitely, it's not a long press. Like that's what I was doing for a while. It's like just tapping, but longer, but no, you have to like push in like a button, which is fun. Although I guess something that's sort of been confusing for me with force touch is I, because it's so new, I don't always remember to do it. And then sometimes like how you were saying, you just force touch everywhere. Like I do that and mm-hmm. nothing happens <laughs> because with force touch, like there's no indication that if you do force touch, something will take place. Mm-hmm. So you're just trying it. Um, do you see like any other challenges like that with these sorts of new approaches to interacting with the device? Or do you, can you think of possibly even a good resolution for that? Um, other than, like it's an invisible UI element, which is hard to learn, <laughs> yeah. hard to remember. And it, it, the fact that the screen is as small as it is, like it, it helps that, but it's a thing that you have to become more ingrained with. So it's just a learned behavior that is hard to like learn and remember, especially if no one t- teaches you that. Like, I don't know during the setup if it even is like, hey, just t- tap harder <laughs> to do some things. Uh, um, I can't remember if it does. I know within the booklet, it tells you to do that in order to customize the watch face. Okay. Uh, but I don't think there was any onboard direction for it, but it is like, uh, it also, because how like you did the long press mm-hmm. and I've seen some people who like push way too hard and it just ignores that press as if something like <laughs> accidentally hit the watch. Um, so it's also confusing because you not only have to learn like this new form of interaction, you have to learn how to appropriately communicate that that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a, a finesse and a knackiness to it that it doesn't take too long to figure out, but I could definitely see for a new user in particular getting like frustrated with that experience. And I guess the, the last final thing I have to say uh, is just uh, like with the watch being like you're looking at your wrist, it, it is really dependent on like very quick interactions. So like the glances feature, which is another invisible element that you swipe up from the bottom, like notification, no control center, um, but different is like that is what I feel like is the app launcher for me because I hardly ever go to that. Um, I, I don't even know it, the cluster of circles. Uh, they, they call it the home screen, but I think it's also called the carousel internally. Mm, so that's okay. confusing. And uh, I'll see if I can reference. It was either on Upgrade or Connected, um, but Mike Hurley, who's a pretty well-known and prolific podcaster, he had some thoughts about how it's confusing that they call that the home screen because on the watch, it's really like the watch face is the home screen. Um, yeah. So there's also some confusing terminology. And I think they were trying to go off of familiarity with the home screen being where your apps are, but that also leads to confusing experience for a user not knowing like where they should always set their watch to be going to mm-hmm. but yeah i never go there either i use glances for launching <laughs> applications too yeah that's uh i feel like that is where apps are and if i have to go to the carousel the home screen it, like i failed <laughs> 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 like i want to from just the watch face i want to start a workout from here because i hate going to the other thing press in the little running guy and then picking my workout like i just want to instantly like okay i'm working out this is the workout i'm doing um but th- that plus the fact like some like it's slow depending on the apps that you're loading. So you're just holding your wrist up for just uncomfortably long amounts of time. Mm -hmm. And then you have like this Dick Tracy syndrome where you're just like, (laughs) you're just walking around like, oh, I'm I'm just waiting for this app to load, but I don't want to put my hand down because it'll just stop. And then I'll look back at my clock, look back and it'll be at the watch screen because it didn't load off all the way. 
Um, so yeah, which also brings like weird social weight, which maybe we'll get used to. Like when the phone, when smartphones first came out, and everybody was buried in the screen looking at their phone, it became this like awkward moment socially because people weren't used to that. And now it's a pretty comfortable experience. But as Sam has pointed out in our show notes, like with everyone interacting with their watch <laughs> around those that don't have it, um, it seems kind of like a jerk move. Um, and that's something that maybe we'll get like more socially comfortable with over time, which may or may not be a good thing. Uh, some critics out there would argue that that's just making us more separated from each other. But I feel the opposite about the watch because I feel like these interactions being sort of designated to about 15 seconds actually make it less of a distraction because I'm not getting caught up in like, oh, I have five unread messages over here and I have 27 unread articles and uh, my RSS reader, which is stuff that can distract me on the phone. But with the watch, it's just here's the information that's currently important and then it goes away. Yeah, you dip in, you dip out. It's not like you go on your phone like, oh, I got a message and then you get distracted by all those other badges that you were talking about. <laughs> but speaking of like the apps being slow to launch and everything, uh, I'm going to segue us into Sam's topic, which yeah. is programming for the Apple Watch. So do you want to take that away, Sam? Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> So what, why is it that it sucks? <laughs> yeah, programming for the Apple Watch is a lot different than doing iOS because it's a whole new device. When Apple released the iPad, it wasn't much of a change. You just had to change a lot of things for a different screen size. But the logic and everything and the, the way the actual system worked, Mono View Controller is what they call it, was that it was a standard thing. With the watch, there still is model view controller, but it's it's a lot different. They're not view-based or layer-based. It's kind of position-based. So programming for the watch is a lot easier, which kind of makes sense because they want really simplistic design within the watch because people are only going to be looking at it for 15 seconds is what Apple says. They try to tell their developers to develop an app that people will interact with for 15 seconds at a time. Hopefully less, actually. Yeah, hopefully less, but a max of 15 seconds. So you kind of want to get straight to the point, which I absolutely love because I hate it when I launch an app and they have a loading screen with their logo and then another logo, and then it kind of goes from there. And then you're like, okay, that was great. Do whatever you have to do in the app. Then you launch it again a little bit later, and it goes through the exact same process. Those just aren't really good user experiences. And I feel like the watch is going to kind of go into much better user experiences because you can't really do those things on the watch. You want to get straight to the point, keep your user engaged and get them out as quick as you can. So I know there was about like 3,000 apps at the start of when the watch launched. And a lot of them were just like, hey, first, <laughs> we're here. And I know a couple of them that I, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll see how this works on the watch because I have the app on my phone. Uh, such as Dark Sky. Um, it, it's somewhat useful, but not 100% useful because the built-in weather app, as confusing as it is in the beginning, it makes sense now. Um, but I can see like how lots of developers, without a watch, it's hard to tell how useful what you're making, how useful it is, whatever you're making. So I, I don't know how you've been dealing and coping, struggling and crying over this. Yeah, some days I don't cope. I just, <laughs> I just sit in my bed We're here. and cry. 
I'm a text away. So uh, it's really weird when you're developing for the Apple Watch because Xcode, which is what you would use to develop, has a built-in simulator for iOS devices. So you can simulate an iPhone or an iPad or an iPod Touch if people still use those. But you can simulate the, all those things. Another really cool thing you can do is if you have an Apple TV, you can develop another experience for that from an app that you design on your phone. And Apple gives you an awesome tool in the simulator called an external display. Which I would love to see more of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But you can set up an external display in the simulator and kind of see how it would work. This is great if you don't have an Apple TV to develop with or if you don't have a display to kind of connect it to. The way the Apple Watch is set up, it's set up as an external display, even though it technically is, but it's really not because it's actually running logic on the watch. Device itself. Yeah, yeah and it can be a standalone <laughs> standalone in quotes app that doesn't require the phone to be live for the apple watch to be live which other external displays the phone app has to be live for it to show up on that external display so you're sitting here messing with all these things you have none of the features of the watch so you, it's not like you can go through like in the simulator and tap on the settings or go to passbook or quit the app and then go back to the app it's literally just an external display so with that you don't really know what's going on you can't really get a natural user experience by not actually seeing the watch. Luckily, I had a fitting appointment or whatever Apple was calling it. Mm -hmm. So we try on, yeah, a try on. So we went in and tried them on, and with that, I didn't really listen to the guy when he was talking at all, and I was just like <laughs> testing the interaction, like how like different pieces of it work. Which uh, hey to him because I think he is a listener of the show now after talking to him. Yeah, yeah, that was it was pretty fun, and I guess I felt kind of bad because he was <laughs> filling me with knowledge but the only reason i was there was to see how the actual hardware would work on the wrist <laughs> yes and what did you learn i didn't learn anything <laughs> at, at the try on is that what you're saying you yeah at the try on didn't okay. learn anything I, uh but, i was also talking to that guy far more than you were because you were actually like using the device and i was being myself and chit chatting with him about geeky things i know i just <laughs> and another guy kept coming up and talking no john mm -hmm. was like oh yeah blah blah blah. this is our best person story i was like john i don't care i'm trying to play with the watch <laughs> <laughs> But I haven't learned much programming with it so far. It's just a different experience for programming. It's not mm -hmm. the same that I'm really used to when it comes to model view controller on iOS. Well, I guess my other question too for you concerning programming would be right now they're sort of treating watch apps like extensions because they haven't opened up the full SDK. Um, so do you, can you like feel the limitations of it just being done through extensions? And do you think that there's something that could be vastly improved once a full SDK is released. Yeah, the main limitations that you feel when working with an extension, because Apple's done it really well, extensions work out really well if you can kind of cut through everything that's there because they're weird to get set up, but once they're set up, it's pretty simple. The problem with extensions is when it comes to third-party libraries or frameworks or things that you're using within the app, I use a lot of different like analytics and crash testing frameworks within my apps and trying to get it to work with the watch is really weird. Even after they have a well-defined process, kind of getting it in there is just, eh, I don't know. And that's also why I think I'm running into issues when it comes to distributing 
marketing the alphas and betas to people. It's really tough to see what's going on if you don't have an actual device. Yeah, because that's like I've been beta testing a couple of other apps, um, which I think one of them, the developers officially like said that he's ready to launch it, but I don't think he had a watch in hand yet. So he was asking for people who had watches to help. And then if we ran into issues with like downloading or installing, he was kind of just like, I'll tinker around and see what I can figure out, but without any like information such as like crash analytics or anything along those lines coming through to him. Like it was sort of a, a poking around in the dark and hoping that he finds the light switch. So there is no crash plan or crash analytics or things happening. Like unless you set up your own internal like test driven development stuff, uh, there isn't any kind of resource for that for the watch. Uh, there is. Apple's been oh, okay. pushing out things to developers. But when you first set up the phone, and I don't know if it asks you at any other time. Oh. It yeah. asks if you want to submit feedback to developers, like anonymous app analytics. Mm -hmm. That's the only time that you would get a crash report or something from Apple. So that's why it's always better to implement a third-party framework there. And if anyone is listening and does not have that turned on, and you have an iPhone, go into your settings and turn on that anonymous feedback for uh, developers on diagnostics and usage, because it is anonymous and it helps people make their apps significantly better. So if you're ever frustrated with some app that's constantly crashing on you, uh, that is a, a good way to go about helping developers. Yeah, it's like be kind and rewind modern era. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That is a phrase that is very outdated now. <laughs> yeah. Except for uh, HBO Go, I have noticed that uh, with that, if you get to the end of an episode, and if you just, as soon as the credits come up and you're like, oh, I'm out of it, the next time you go into that episode, it'll start back from where you uh, finished off at without asking you, hey, do you want to start from the beginning or resume from where I left off? And that's my dog. Hey, Oakley. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's strange because I feel like every time I have gone into HBO Go or Netflix or any of them, at least on the Apple TV, it does prompt me, do you want to resume playing or start from the beginning, uh, which is a essentially the 21st century, be kind or and rewind. Uh, but Sam, did you have any final thoughts concerning programming for the Apple Watch? Or did you want to talk about some of the apps that you've been making? No, I won't talk about the apps I've been making. They're still like heavily being developed. But program for the Apple Watch, it's a great time for anybody to really get into programming because it's at a point where it's so new that Apple even hasn't figured it out. So you would be getting in on the ground floor and you would kind of understand the process from the bottom up, kind of like I did with iOS. But it's, it's a great battlefield to be in mm -hmm. right now. Love is a battlefield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but it is, I think it's also good for those who've had the desire to learn how to develop or have wanted to try developing an application to start with doing something for the watch. Because like how Sam was mentioning that this is a whole new device and not everyone knows how to develop the experience for it correctly. Sometimes coming from the outside perspective where you're not so like heavily ingrained in developing for smartphones or tablets or computers can give that fresh new perspective and you can focus on just what it's like using the watch. Yeah. So I think it will be interesting to see as new developers emerge centered around this type of device, um, because it's not just Apple who has smartwatches out there. We also have our Android friends who are using these Android Wear devices and think that that's also something that needs a lot of sort of like fresh perspective on, because it is a lot of people just trying to force phone applications onto a super tiny screen, and that's not going to work well. Um, which I'll actually, in our show notes, I'll link to Marco Arment, who's the developer of 
Overcast, the podcast app, um, because he wrote up a whole nice blog post about how after he got the watch in hand and he looked at his app, he realized like he had designed the watch app horribly. And so he went through a whole new redesign of the interface. Um, so we'll also link over to that just so you can see that it does require a different perspective. But did you guys have any other final thoughts for us? Uh, yeah. So if you've been uh, developing for the Apple Watch for at least five years, I have a recruiter who would love to. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, if you have uh, like seven years of Swift experience, uh, <laughs> they'd be more than happy to just have a conversation. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, I'm going to say that that concludes the 23rd episode of All of the Above. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you want to see our show notes full of links to things we discussed in this episode, head on over to alloftheabove.audio slash episode slash 23. And as always, we would love to hear from you guys, so you can find every which way to get in touch with us by going to alloftheabove.audio slash contact. And the easiest way to reach us is through Twitter, where we can be found at Above Podcast. Finally, if you're enjoying the show and want to help us out, you can go to allofftheabove.audio slash review and that will take you directly into iTunes where you don't even have to write anything. You can just click some stars and that will make us feel happy. But you can also type up uh, some feedback on the show if you would like there. Also, if you have Overcast, you can go in your Overcast app and then hit recommend mm-hmm. right as this very episode is playing. Yes, that, that will also make us very happy to see that show up in uh, the recommended list. Um, so finally, we'll uh, look forward to joining you all next week when we're going to be discussing storytelling with comrade of the show, Laura Masters. In the meantime, go ask all your friends who watches The Watchmen.